Oh, let me hear you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, uh, as Brian said, I just want to say welcome. Would love for you guys to get connected with us. As the video said, we got a special gift for you. And you can do that through the connection card and the chair that's in front of you. Or you can just go to the Welcome Center after service and connect that way. Um, before we get into the message today, I do want to express something that we are doing and all that is, is happening because of it. At the end of every year, we do an end-of-the-year giving focus called Purpose Prevails, as well as a challenge for our church members to those that have not already committed to tithing to pray about that and consider beginning tithing through what we call God's guarantee. And so Purpose Prevails is kind of that opportunity for us that are already tithing to look back on what God's done this year and kind of give a, a, a offering towards him in, in a thank you to all that you've done, all of your provision. We do encourage you to pray about that. We, we've always said it like this, pray about it. And if God doesn't tell you to give anything, don't give anything. Uh, there's no pressure there. But if God does tell you to give something, consider giving that and watching not only what God does through you, but also how God will continue to provide and bless for you. Also, God's guarantee is an opportunity for those that have never stepped out in faith and begin to trust God tithing. And we have a system where in the beginning of the year you can start tithing. And it's a 90-day process where we say that if you don't see God bring stability to your finances, we will at the end of those 90 days give you all of that money back. Uh, there is a, a process you go through because we want to make sure you don't come to us asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars that you didn't give to begin with. Um, but it is an opportunity for you to step out in faith and trust God with your finances. Uh, if you're looking for ways to give towards Purpose Prevails, we've already got people giving. Uh, you can do that one or two ways. You can uh, do it through an envelope system that's in your chair and you can mark Purpose Prevails. Or when you go online to the Normally Give, there's a tab when you would give normal offering, normal tithes, there's a, ta a tab that would say Purpose Prevails. And we take that money, it's that end of your offering, and we put it towards all of the vision that we have for 2023. We've talked about all kinds of outreach things we want to do. We've talked about what we want to do as a church from marriage conference to different things, as well as we're going to be doing some renovations to our building uh, over the holidays. So as you come into the first service January 8th, you'll see a few things different as we're just continuing to fine tune the blessing that God's given us in this building and the impact that we're making. Uh, I continue to sit down with people and I'm excited about 2023 and what God's going to do through this church and in this church, but most of all in our communities. And so one of the things that we're doing with all of this, and I'm going to really share more about it next Sunday, is how we team up with the YMCA to provide Christmas for families that are in the domestic abuse center in Murfreesboro. Uh, we started this last year and we were able to, to team up with the YMCA and provide Christmas for 20 kids through that process, which was amazing because of your faithfulness in giving. And so we got together this year and we said, you know what? We talked to Erica, the lady that runs the domestic abuse center, and we said, how many, what, what is the max amount of families you have in there? And she said, we have 40 families. And we got together and said, well, I think, you know, between the YMCA and Victory Church and God's blessing, I think we can provide Christmas for all 40 families. And so we've been working on that. And I've got some exciting news to share with you next Sunday. So you want to be in the building next Sunday as we talk about it. You're like, what am I here for today? Well, hey, nothing. I mean, we're just here. We're going to leave here in a minute. Go get lunch. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I got, a, I got in a word I'm really, really excited about for you. But uh, we're working out some final details. As Brian said, on the 18th from 4 to 6, we'll be wrapping those Christmas presents. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then on that Monday, we'll be delivering them. And so it's just a, it's a cool thing. I, I love that people who believe in Jesus 
say, hey, if God has blessed me with finances, we're going to make sure that families aren't going without Christmas, right? We're not, we're not going to sit in our living rooms on Christmas morning and spoil our little snotty-nosed kids and, and not let other people experience Christmas. And so because of what you've already done, I can't, I got to be careful because I'll start getting into the testimony of what God's done, and I purposely want to wait till next Sunday to share that. And so now you have to come back to hear what God has done through you and the faithfulness of your giving. Cool? All right, so look at the person beside you and say, you need to come next Sunday. If you want to hear it, you need to come next Sunday. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, I do want to share with you a testimony. As I'm talking about purpose prevails and God's guarantee, we had a family that a couple of years ago stepped out in faith through that, and they shared a testimony with me about God's faithfulness, and I want to share it with you, all right? So it starts out like this. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, it says, throughout our whole marriage... We've tithed as a couple. This is the wife writing the email. She said, throughout our whole marriage, we've always tithed. I love this. She said, it's just the way I grew up. She said, I grew up, my parents taught me to tithe, and so when we got married, we just said, we're doing it, and it's what we always did. And while some of us have never tithed, we have people in the building who, that's just, they've always done it. That's what their parents did. That's what they did. It's, they've always done it. And then she said, a few years ago, we bought a house. And she said, God was always providing, and he's always taking care of us. She said, but in our immaturity, and at the time, we were looking at all the numbers, and she said, we had a lot of credit card debt. So she said, so when we bought the house, we thought, we really need to pay off these credit cards. And I love this. She said, we looked at all of the money that was going to tithes. And so we're looking at these credit cards that need to be paid off, and we're looking at all this money that's going to tithes. And she said, maybe we can just take a year or two off of tithing and focus that money towards the credit card debt. And then once the credit card debt's paid off, then get back to tithing, right? I mean, we've all been there and thought that before. And she said, so in our selfishness and immaturity, we did that. She said, for a couple of years, we didn't tithe, and for a couple of years, we didn't pay any debt off, right? Isn't that true? She said, nothing was tithed, and yet nothing was paid off, because we can always find somewhere else that needs the money, right? She said, I always felt like God took care of us, though. I always felt like God wouldn't curse us for not tithing, but at the same time, we miss out on opportunities for God to wow us because we try to do it on our own terms. So right after that happened, she said, we found victory in December 2018. And she said, when we walked into church, y'all were doing your purpose prevails focus. So in case you don't know, 2018 would have been the first year we were open. And so this would have been the very first year doing purpose prevails. She said, we decided to give towards purpose prevails and we decided to start tithing again. So I remember the day we had our offering envelope. I love this. She said, we had our offering envelope ready to give. And she said, I was shaking the whole morning during service. She said, we went to growth track that day. And the whole time we were in growth track, we were shaking because we knew what we were about to do in committing that money. So we continued from then on. And here we are three years later with zero credit card debt, a more expensive house. Come on. Come on. Give God praise. It's cool. And she said, we have not missed a tithe. Connect that. Zero credit card debt, a bigger house, and have not missed a tithe. Look at God go. We tried to do it our own way for two years, and we paid off nothing. When we got faithful here, we're blown away by what God has done. I love it because we just got out of that financial series, God Doesn't Make Sense. And it makes sense to us that we could take this money for a season reallocate it towards credit card and get that credit card debt paid off because we believe God is against debt and we can, we can work all that system out. And instead, 
nothing gets paid off, no tithing, but yet you tithe, somehow the credit cards get paid off, you get a bigger house, and you never miss a tithe. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, church, when we trust God with our finances, there's a blessing in that. And so I want to encourage you over this season, I'm not going to preach on that, should have been here in November, but I'm just challenging you, encouraging you to trust God. If you're a tither, trust God with purpose prevails. Step out in faith and bless God, and, or not bless God, but, but honor God with what, how he's blessed you. And if you've never tithed before, I challenge you, I challenge you to move into that realm trusting God with your finances. And I guarantee you, I've never met a person who tithed who regrets tithing. Never once. But I often talk to people who don't tithe and they say, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm just telling you, trust God. Amen? All right, yeah, Matthew chapter 1 yet? Matthew chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Matthew, when you go to the New Testament, so there's the Old Testament that starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is what it is, one of his disciples. We're going to start reading at verse 18. So you'll see in Matthew chapter 1, you've kind of got this genealogy type thing going on. But we're going to start reading at verse 18 is where we get into the birth of Jesus Christ. We, I was just, as I was worshiping, I was going, God, I, I, I thank you and I praise you every day. But I love this season because it's when we focus on the birth of Jesus. Every day I focus on the sacrifice of Christ and his salvation of my sins. But it's really fun to focus on the miracle that was the, could you imagine seeing Jesus as a baby and knowing that's the hope of the world? Y'all aren't as pressed as I am, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's cool. All right, so here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So you have Mary, you have Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So before Mary and Joseph have, had ever consummated the marriage, all right, I'll keep that PG for all you young folk. Before they ever consummated the marriage, all of a sudden, Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was a man of the law. The law would have said, stone her to death because she obviously must have committed adultery because he was faithful to the law. But he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph was just going to kind of divorce her quietly, keep it all. He didn't want her to get embarrassed or to be uh, stoned to death. And so we'll just kind of keep it a secret and move on. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in one of his dreams. And the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel said, the baby that's in her, believe it or not, is from God. And she'll give birth to this son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all of a sudden, Joseph wakes up, and when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen, right? What a great story. I want to talk to you this morning from this idea. I have my doubts. I have my doubts. I was processing all of the most significant moments of my life a couple of days ago. 
Not, not every moment, but the significant moments, the moments that shifted my life, okay? The moments that were real sacrificial moments where my life went from this to that. And I was thinking about it, and I'll give you a couple of them an example in a minute. And I thought, you know what? No matter what those moments were, in every one of them, I, I had faith, but I also had doubts. Like, like I, was, I, was, I was confident moving forward. But I would be lying to you if I told you that there weren't moments where I doubted. Let, let me give you some examples. When Darla and I were about to get married, it was about six months before we got married, my dad decided that he was going to relocate and move to Panama City, Florida. And I had been living with my dad, obviously, for the past 10, 12 years or so, um, up until Darla and I getting married. But as he moved, all of a sudden now, all of the bills were going to be my responsibility. And so when he moved, I was now going to have to pay the rent for the apartment. I was going to have to pay the light bill. Like, we were moving into that season of life. And, and I could afford it. I mean, I was old enough. I had a full-time job. It was, it was fine. It was that time. But I'll be honest with you. I had my doubts. Like, like I, I, I was going to do it. The, you know, I could, I could make it make sense. But, but there were just moments where I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, like, this is the first time. That, that daddy's not there to pay the bills when, you know, I don't get enough hours at work or whatever. Like, there was just moments where I was like, ah, sure, let's do it. Like, let's see what happens. And then I remember the first time Darla came to me about being pregnant with our first child, Veda. And I was always confident in Darla's ability to be a mom. Where I lacked confidence was my ability to be a dad. Um, and so although I, I knew I knew our child would be amazing and I knew that, that we would do our best and I would give everything I had to raise her up to be awesome, there was just moments where I had my doubts. Again, I didn't have my doubts in her or my doubts in Darla. There were just moments where I had doubts in me. You know, I, I didn't I had a kid before. I didn't babysit kids. I didn't even like kids, you know. And so it was kind of like, how is this process going to work? And then then I remember the second time she told me she was pregnant, and you would think I would be even more confident because I had successfully raised one, but I wasn't. I still had my doubts. You know, what if this one is a boy? What if this one doesn't like me? What if this one is harder than the other one? You know, I mean, you just, your doubts. And then I remember when I told my family that God was leading us to move away and plant Victory Church, and I was confident in God, but I had my doubts. You know, I mean, to, to move somewhere you had never been, to take a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and move them from everything that they knew to plant a church, to quit a job that had a, a you know, a full-time salary and step out with the idea that you were going to raise your salary from people who don't even know you. Like, there was this weird confidence in me. It was a God-like faith, but I had my doubts. Even when we got in the process of getting this building, I'll talk a little bit more about it later in the sermon, but there were all these different things that God did to help encourage me, but, but I had my doubts. And so there, there, like literally, all, every moment of my life that, that was significant, whether it was moving out on my own or having children or planning this church or getting married or every significant moment of my life, there were parts of me that were confident, confident enough for me to do it, but there were parts of me that had doubts. Anybody in here agree with me? Yeah? <laughs> Thank you. You knew what it was like. Like, you, you did it, but, but you had doubts. And I think if we are honest, we all have times in our life where we struggle with doubt. 
especially when it comes to God and our faith. Stuff like this. Um, God called me to do this. I think. <laughs> right? Like, like God's presence and promise is going to go with me. Maybe. Like, I, I think. Like, God, God will come through. Hopefully. <laughs> right? You ever had those moments where you're like, like, God called me to do this. He did? I think. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not certain of it. Like, I didn't get a telegram, right? You know, God didn't call me on my cell phone. Call me on my cell phone. Right? Like, yeah, sorry. Uh, like, like, God didn't do that. God's not Drake. You know what I mean? Like, God didn't holler at me and say, hey, you should do this. Because it'd be a lot easier if he did, right? be a lot easier if he said, hey, if you tithe, hey, if you tithe, I got you. It'd be so much easier. He said, hey, if you move there, I'm going to use you. It'd be, it'd be so much easier. But we don't get that. And so there's moments where we, we, we believe it's God. I think it's God. It sounds like God. It looks like God. But I have my doubts. Here's what I think is interesting. Often the assumption in the church and with most Christians is that the more psychologically certain that we are, the stronger our faith is. We've been taught to believe that the more certain we are in our mind, then that must mean our faith is strong. The more psychologically certain I am, the stronger my faith must be. And here's what happens. When you operate in a perception of faith like that, doubt becomes an enemy. When you think certainty equals the strength of your faith, then automatically you move into a mindset that doubt must be wrong, that doubt must be an enemy, because if I'm supposed to be certain, doubt seems like the opposite of certainty, so if I doubt, I must not be certain, therefore I must not have strong faith. I'm going to ask a controversial question this morning, all right? It's kind of question that can split the room up really quick. Um, it's It's... It's just something, I've never thought about this before, but I thought about it this week, and it's something we need to discuss, okay? We're going we're gonna to separate men from women really quick, and then, but before you say anything, think about it, process it. This answer could decide your marriage. This answer could decide your life. You could die this evening if you answer this question wrong, all right? Trust me. You ready? Here's the question. When it comes to the birth of baby Jesus, who had it harder, Mary or Joseph? We know where the women are. All right, we get it. Mary. All right, guys, before you answer, let me give you some biblical theology. According to the Bible, Mary's responsibility was to birth baby Jesus. Joseph's responsibility was to name baby Jesus. All right, let's try it again. Who had it harder? Joseph or Mary? Mary. Which one would you want to do? You know what I mean? Hey, guys, you want to birth Jesus or you want to name him? You know what I mean? Like, which one? You name it is like, uh, God already told me what to name him, so I don't really have to do anything here. I just have to speak what God said. Mary, you do you, boo. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's your responsibility. I, I ask this question because obviously that's going to be your answer. But, but I thought about it from a different perspective. I'm not saying that Mary didn't have it harder in the context of birthing baby Jesus compared to naming baby Jesus. But let me give you a thought you probably never had before. Mary knew 
it was God. Because it was her body. Mary knew that she was a virgin. Mary knew that it was the Holy Spirit that had put that baby inside of her because there was no other way to explain it. Joseph never knew. He believed, but he never knew certainty. It was not his body, right? It's Mary's body, so she knows. She knows she didn't have any extramarital affairs. But Joseph doesn't know that. He's going to believe it and move forward, but he doesn't know it. So when I ask you who had it harder, when it comes to the conception and the birth of Jesus Christ, I think Mary had it harder. But when it came to the walk of faith, of believing that Mary was carrying the Son of God and that the child they, was, they were raising was the one who would save us from our sins, I think Mary had it easier because Mary knew it was God and Joseph had to trust that it was God. You see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. The opposite of faith is certainty because where there is certainty there is no room for faith. Why do you need it? In fact, faith that is unquestioned or untested is not real faith at all. Because once you know, why do you need faith? Right? It's, it's the uncertainty moments. It's the moments where we think, but we don't know. It's the moments where we hope, but we aren't certain. Those are the moments where faith operates. Because if you know, it doesn't take you any faith at all. All. One of the biggest struggles for people in 2020, they would tell me, I just feel like all of a sudden things are uncertain. I was like, I hate to tell you this, they were always uncertain. You were never promised tomorrow. That's why everything that entitles the idea of something happening tomorrow, for you to plan to go to work tomorrow takes faith because it's not certain. And I want you to understand this, that doubt is a part of our day-to-day -day life. Doubt is common. <laughs> it's more common for a believer than it is for a non-believer. Doubt is a part of your everyday life. And, but here's, here's what we have to remember. It's neither good nor is it bad. You say, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, James talks about not doubting, all these different. What do you mean? It's not good nor is it bad. Listen to me. Doubt in itself is not good nor is it bad. Watch this. What determines whether or not our doubt is good or bad is what we do with our doubt. To determine whether or not it's good or whether or not it's bad depends on what you and I choose to do with it when we have it. What do we do with our doubt? When you have doubt, what do you do with it? When you have doubt in regards to your marriage, what do you do with it? When you have doubt in regard to your finances, what do you do with it? When you have doubt in regards to your children, in regards to your career, in regards to your dreams, in regards to God's grace and salvation, what do you do with it? What determines whether your doubt is good or bad is what you do with it. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1 for a second. I want to read this to you just again for context. Joseph's situation. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, when you read that, you would say, now, wait a minute. So Mary's not married to Joseph. There was a, there was a process they went in that culture. So yes, it was more like a, a I can't say the word, a, a betr I can't remember the word right now, but what is it? 
betrothed. Thank you. Um, my name's in that. You think I would remember that? Betrothed. Betrothed. Um, and so you know, it's just kind of a process. So 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 yes, they were already biblically married. So that's the concept. It was just still in the process. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why would he want to divorce her quietly? Because of what he had in mind. What did he have in mind? Doubt. The secret right here for Joseph wasn't the fact that he had doubt, is what are you about to do with it? I was reading a commentary on Matthew chapter 1. It's what led me to want to write this sermon to begin with. And I'm reading a commentary, and as I'm reading it back, I'll read the verse, and I'll read the commentary, read the verse, and I read it a handful of times. And I got to this one part, and here's what it said. It said, when it came to what God asked Joseph to do, Joseph did it without a doubt or without wavering. And I read that, church, and I thought, did he? <laughs> like, I get it. I get what the commentary's saying. Because he does do it. He, he responds quickly. He does it passionately. He moves forward. He takes a step. He does it. So it's, it's, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to communicate the passion by which he's done it. So you say, he did it without a doubt. Did he? Without a doubt? Without a doubt? He just like was 100% certain? I think there's something wrong when we start trying to communicate and make people think that in order for you to believe in God and to walk in God, you have to do it without a doubt. I'm going to be real honest with you. If that's what you're striving for, you may never achieve it. So many of us grew up in environments where doubt and questions about our faith were looked down upon. Remember that? Remember when you had a doubt? And you asked the question, and their response was, you just need to believe. Wait a minute. I got some doubts. This, this, doesn't, this is strange. Can you explain? Well, are you, are, you, are you saying God's not real? Hold on, bro. No. Like, I just got some questions. This is weird. I just got some questions. Like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I got some doubts. Well, if you doubt God, you're going to hell. You know I mean? These kind of statements that we heard. You, you remember when it was like you started to believe that you couldn't be saved? If you had doubts, right? So I have to get to a place where I have zero doubt to be saved? Well, you, mean, you mean I can't have faith and have doubts? You mean I can't serve God and be used by God and have doubts? Watch this. When certainty is glorified, we will assume it's a prerequisite of faith. And so as a result, we will hide behind false confidence and we will doubt in secret. I'm going to say it again. When we are taught and we watch certainty be glorified, when it be all about being, you need to be certain, you need to be without a doubt, you need to believe this without a doubt and be certain, what happens is we assume it's a prerequisite of faith. We assume that for us to have faith, we must have certainty. That we must, watch this, not have any questions. Have you read the Bible? I got all kinds of questions. You know what I mean? Like, you want me to read this thing and, uh, and not have any questions about it? 
And now that it's a prerequisite of faith, watch this. I don't want to be the odd person because I can walk in a room like this and assume that you all got it figured out. I can come sit in my seat and go, wow, look at their hands. Look at how much they're worshiping. Listen to that worship team and their confidence. They must have no doubt about God. And I don't want to be the one that stands out. So I will walk in with false confidence. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> God is good all the time, all the time. Hallelujah, brother. Got no confidence without a doubt. And then go home and doubt. How twisted is that? That we'd be taught to walk into a building like this and pretend like we're certain and then go home and doubt? When I think the presence of God would say, bring your doubt. Not to Troy. He got his own doubts. <laughs> so let's go, back to, let's go back to Joseph for a second. Uh, yeah, you're not going to find it biblically that Joseph had doubts. Like outside of what I read to you and the, the, uh, the interpretation that what was in his mind to make him want to do that, you're not going to necessarily see a Bible verse that says, and Joseph doubted. But let me just take you where my head goes. Because I'm weird, all right? So when I read stuff like that, I try to put myself into it and try to figure out, because Joseph was a man. Joseph was not God. So I can try to frame Joseph based off of who I am, because I'm a man, right? So let's walk with this. Theologically, when you do all the study, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, all these different things, Mary, watch this, men, you're going to really appreciate this. Mary left for three months. When Mary left, she wasn't pregnant. When Mary came back after three months, it's like 90 days. <laughs> she came back into the house and Joseph said, oh, honey, how was your trip? I've missed you. You've been gone for three months. And Mary said, guess what? I'm pregnant. And Joseph said, say what? <laughs> how are you pregnant? Don't worry. I know we haven't been together in three months, nor have we been together physically at all. But don't worry. I'm pregnant by God. I tried to think, what would happen? Darla and I get married. It's honeymoon night. I won't go any further on that. Fill in. Paint by numbers as you approve. And Darla goes, oh, babe, I forgot. I got to go visit my cousin. We're going to have to put off our honeymoon for a little bit. I said, okay, cool, no problem. She said, I'll be back in three months. Three months? Can a brother go with you? You know what I mean? Like, three months. Uh, I'll be back, babe. Don't worry about it. Okay, cool, 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 cool. She goes for nine days. She comes back, knocks on the door. Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh. What's wrong with your belly? I'm pregnant. And you're excited about it? Who's the daddy? God. Get out of my house right now. You know what I mean? Like, like, let's be realistic for a second. Do we really think that Mary came home after three months after visiting relatives? And now she's pregnant? And you want us to believe that the Holy Spirit, you don't think he had a little bit of doubt? A little bit. 
There were beliefs still, some people still believe this today, that Mary was pregnant by a Roman soldier. So, so just walk with me for a second. Jesus is born. He comes out. And Joseph's like, that baby don't look like me. Look like me. Baby gets a little bit older. He's three, four, five years old, you know. And he starts acting out. And Joseph's like, I don't act like that. But Bartholomew does. <laughs> I've seen that attitude before. Matter of fact, I've seen that nose before. You know what? I don't know. There's that one guy that always comes through that particular soldier. He's always checking on our area. His eyes look a lot like his eye. You know what I mean? He just starts to make those connections. Like, like maybe he had a little bit of a doubt. Maybe. Just let me set you free for a second. I think he doubted. Doubt is expected by any religious person. And it's something that should be embraced and addressed, not shunned and ignored. If you have a question about God, it should be embraced and it should be addressed. If you have a doubt about your faith, it should be addressed and embraced. What it should not be is shunned and ignored, and pushed down, and told, don't worry about it, because I got doubts too, but if we both agree that we got doubts, all of a sudden, we don't have faith, so let's just not tell anybody, and pretend like we're certain, and in the second something really happens in our life that could question our faith, we'll run away from God, because we always had doubts, and we never actually address them. If the ability to not have doubt was a prerequisite of faith, God could not have used Joseph. If the ability to not have doubt was a prerequisite of faith, he could not have used John the Baptist. What did we see last week? You think he had doubt? Are you the one? It sounds like doubt to me. If having no doubt is a prerequisite of faith, he couldn't have used Mary. He couldn't have used the other Joseph, Jacob's son. He couldn't have used Moses. He couldn't have used Noah. He couldn't have used Peter. He couldn't have used David. He couldn't have used uh, Paul. He couldn't have used any of the disciples. He couldn't have used us. He could use none of us. If no doubt. If certainty was a prerequisite of faith, he couldn't use us. Our quest to feel certain can become an idol if we're not careful. And we must, not, we must be careful not to let our sense of security, watch this, be anchored in our knowledge instead of being anchored in our trust of God's character that was revealed on the cross. And as we continue to grow in God, it's what we do with our doubt. Watch this. The real issue is not doubt. It's what we do with it. When we ignore our doubts, it leads us to more unbelief. But when we embrace those doubts, it can lead us to increasing our faith. I mentioned the building, the church building, the one that you're sitting in. Some of you know some of the details. Some of you don't. But it was really cool how this came about. We, we were hoping for a building. We'd been setting up and tearing down every weekend, and it was tough, and it's a struggle, and, you know, it's, it's not a home. There's so many things we wanted to do that we couldn't do, and I got, I got to a point where I just I really wanted God to do something in that aspect, so I did a fast. And on the day that our fast ended, I got an email from a realty company about this building. And I went and visited this building, and you can imagine my faith was up high. And I drove over here, and I, I drove around the area and prayed, and I got out of my car, and I looked through the window, and it was beautiful, and I thought, oh, man, this is it. 
I got back in my car and I, I called the realty company and they told me how much they wanted uh, a month for the place. And instantly my doubts came in because we couldn't afford it. It was way too expensive. And so it was weird because I had this like faith because, I mean, God gave it to me during a fast. Like, that's God. But then I had these doubts because we can't afford that. But, but I just kind of kept pursuing it. You know, I would pray and pursue it and little things would happen. Doors would start opening. I remember one time, because when you move your church from a location, we moved from Smyrna, in case you don't know this, we moved from Smyrna to Antioch. And anytime you move a church, locations like that, it can be tough on your church, especially a young church. Church can just start to split and fall apart. And so I remember praying a lot about, like, God, is that the smart move? And I was reading in Acts at the time, just for my personal Bible study, and I got ready to read that time, and I opened it up, and the headline of the Bible said, Paul goes to Antioch. I was like, got it. <laughs> Amen, Lord. My faith shot up, right? And then stuff started happening. I had a couple tell me they weren't moving here. They weren't coming to Antioch. There went the doubt, right? Because it's weird because you can walk this thing out with God and you can have faith, but then something happens and you have doubt. Darla and I were in Colorado City doing that, looking at that ministry I was talking about a couple weeks ago. And I was on the phone with lawyers and our board and we were processing all the legalities of it. And one minute I'd be on the phone call and somebody would say something positive and I'd be like, oh, this is going to happen. You know, and the next minute I'd get a different phone call. I'm like, well, no, this is not going to happen. I was just going back and forth and they're trying to do it. And I'm like, I'm on phone calls trying to figure this. One minute, faithful. Next minute, ugh. One minute, yeah. Next minute, ugh. Like, you ever been there? Like, one minute you got this faith. I'm like, come on, God's in this. And then something happens and now here come these doubts. And we've been taught wrong. We've been taught that until we don't have doubts, it must not be God. And what I have learned is that the real evidence of the presence of God is a balance of both faith and doubt. Because the God in me has faith, but the Troy in me has doubts. I came for, to literally give you this word. You ready? God is not intimidated by your questions. And he is not intimidated by your lack of understanding. God is not mad at you or disappointed in you because you don't get it. He gets that he's God and he warns you in advance. He said, your understanding will never be able to grasp my understanding. So do not be mad at yourself for doubting. It's a part of the plan. It's going to happen. Move in it. You can. All right, listen to me. Lean in. Lean in. You ready? You ready? This is, I'm about to destroy stuff you've been taught for years. You ready? You, you can be, you can be a religious, oh, I'm sorry, here's how, you can have religious doubt and be a believer. <laughs> Honey, get your purse. He's a Pharisee. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Sounds like the Antichrist up there. You can have doubt simultaneously to being a believer. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know what that tells me? With certainty, it's impossible to please God. If I'm certain, now I'm God. Right? Right? 
what I want us to start moving in a direction of is this. I want us to stop waiting for our doubt to disappear. When it comes to what God is calling you to do, whether it's the ministry he's put on your heart, whether it's the relationship he's put on your heart, whether it's the dream, whether it's your finances, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, whatever it is that God has spoken to you, you have been secretly waiting to be without doubt before you trust and ask God for it. And what I want you to do is start operating in a mindset and an understanding that doubt will always be there. That doubt is always there. But it's what you do with it. All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. When I read that, at first, I, I was writing the sermon, I thought, man, this, this verse goes against everything I'm preaching. Because Joseph made the decision after an angel of the Lord told him it was God. I don't know about you, but if an angel of the Lord told me to move to Antioch, I'm going to put a little bit of weight on that. You know what I mean? But I'm reading it, and here's, you ready? Watch this. Because do you agree with me? You read that, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Joseph had what I don't have. He had a word from the angel of the Lord. And I read it again. Watch this. It was a dream. I had a dream last night. It was about zombies. <laughs> Dead honest truth. It could happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm not up here today teaching you, hey, when you get home, I want you to talk to Chris Warner. He's got this whole preparation of canned goods and all this stuff. We need to get ready because we could be on the verge of a zombie attack. Because it was in a dream. So part of us goes like, man, Joseph had certainty. Did he though? I get it. God speaks through dreams, still does today. But you're not certain about it. Like, man, I think, you know, God said this. I think. So, so I get it. There's a little bit more of weight on the aspect of maybe it's God. But there's still moments for Joseph to go, but, I mean, it was a dream. <laughs> I always thought, couldn't have God, like, picked up a magical marker in the air and wrote on the wall? And Joseph would have a hard time denying that ain't nobody moving that marker, but it's moving by itself and saying, the baby is mine. You know, kind of, <laughs> Mari. You know, episode of Mari. And... Joseph had doubts, but he did it anyway. In fact, what made his story and all other stories of people in the Bible, the Marys, the John the Baptist, the Peters, the Davids, the, the Josephs, the, the Johns, all the, what made it so great is that they had doubt, but they moved in it despite their doubt. That they moved forward, pursued what God told them to do. Mary, Mary, I'm going to use you to birth baby Jesus, but I'm a virgin. I'm going to talk about this next week. Fear that comes with faith. But I'm a virgin. Doubt. But they did it anyway. Joseph, I'm pregnant. By who? God. Doubt. But he did it anyway. John the Baptist, are you the one? I'm in prison. You're not. I doubt. I'm going to do it anyway. Peter, I doubt. I do it anyway. What if I told you that doubt plays a major role in your faith? If doubt plays a major role in your faith, then how can doubt be negative? 
during this time of the year, there is a, uh, a practice that happens, especially if you are a parent of small children. It is a practice that I'm, I'm not sure if it's satanic or godly or what, but it can be terrible. It's a practice. It's called Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> Y'all heard about this? Y'all familiar? Especially you got young kids. Now, let me give you parents, those of you that are right now going like, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so sweet and so creative. I was at Amber and Andrew's house, and they did this cool thing where, like, the, the elf turned a real egg into a kinder egg. It was, it was amazing. I was, I was like, your elf's awesome. Um, but it's always fun the first couple of weeks, you know what I mean? Like, like day six and seven, it's, you're all creative. Honey, what is the elf going to do tonight? I don't know. He put him in the fridge and ah, freeze him in ice and, you know. And then, like, day 19 comes, you know what I mean? Day 22, and you're both in, this is a real story. You're both in the bed, and it's like, you doing the elf? I'm not doing the elf. I'm already in, what's the elf? Darla asked me tonight, she said, our, our elf's name is Blue. She said, what's Blue going to do? I said, I don't know what Blue's going to do, but I'm not helping her do it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm already in the bed. Blue can get a life for all I care. Just giving you some parenting. So the other morning, I'm in there making, getting to take the kids to school, and I'm making them breakfast. And Veda's talking to Casey about the elf on the shelf. And Veda says, Casey, why do you even care about the elf on the shelf? You know it's not real. Now, real quick, if you brought your kids in here, this is why we have V-Kids. If I'm ruining your kids' dreams, don't bring them into an adult service. Because we're talking about Santa next week. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. Uh, but she said, she said Casey, you, you, know, you, know it's not, you know mom and dad move it. Like, like why, why do you even care? And she's like, I like, you know, waking up and wondering, because that's her favorite part, is finding her, right? Here's what she was saying. Watch this. She was saying, I like the mystery of it. She knew that Elf wasn't, she knows me and Darla and Veda move it. But she's young, and she likes the mystery of it. The other day I felt the Spirit of God tell me, your child is trying to create mystery and you're trying to get rid of it. Your child is out there trying to create mystery, and you want certainty because you don't want mystery. What if there's a benefit to our doubt? My, my doubt can move me to seek God, which results in my faith growing. So if I doubt Jesus, I can lean into it. I can pursue him. I can pursue his truth. I can ask him for help. What if it's my doubt that will cause me to search the scriptures more? What if it's my doubt that will cause me to not just believe what somebody says, but to search it for myself? What if it's my doubt that makes me lean into God? If I use it right, my doubt can be good because it moves me towards God when I embrace it. But if I shun it and put it down, it will constantly build more and more lack of faith until eventually I'll run away from God altogether. So the thing that we're being told is a curse, the thing we're being told not to do, the thing we're being told is bad and not of God, it's that thing that brings up in us mystery. And we want to be able to solve mystery. And so we chase after God. Uh, for my birthday, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, my, my, my in-laws were in town. And so they wanted to take us to an escape room. We love escape rooms. So it's, it's me and Darla, the girls, and her mom and dad. And we go to this escape room in, in Nashville somewhere, and we get into it. And we and Darla have done a few, and, and the kids have done like one, but we were all really excited. 
We get it, and there's these two guys in it. So it's just us six and these two guys. Very awkward. And the things, you know, they give you the instructions or whatever, then it starts. And as soon as it started, like, these guys went straight to this one area and, like, found this key or something. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was still trying to figure out which direction do we go, and we're already moving on. And it, was, it went like this for a while. Like, it was so fast. It was so fast. And all of a sudden, somebody, one of the guys said this. They made a mention, watch this, that they had already done this room before. Exactly. I was like, well, you know what? Shame on you. And like instantly, it was no fun for me. I was like, you took all the mystery away. <laughs> I paid money for mystery. Because I wanted to discover it. And you took it away from me. God created us to want mystery. The reason you like escape rooms is because God designed you that way. But not so you could figure out where the key is to unlock the door of some stupid activity. But that you would search the scriptures. That you would find the character of God. And who is God. And that he would reveal himself to you. And you would become closer in relationship to God. And it would be life changing for you. Not so that you could shun the fact that you doubt. Shame yourself and then walk away from him altogether. So never again, never again shun your doubt. Never again be ashamed of your doubt. Embrace it. And ask the Spirit of God, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? Search the scriptures. I had this illustration in mind, but I didn't, I didn't get it together, so I'm going to say it real quick and we're fixing to close. I imagined bringing Scout up because he's so tall, and I was going to put something heavy on him, stack boxes or water bottles or whatever. And obviously, as they stacked up more and more and more and more and more, it would become heavy for him. And each one of those things were going to represent a doubt. And when you have that amount of doubts, you can't hear somebody say, just get over it. Just believe. Just believe. Do you see what I'm carrying here? But what I love about the character and the spirit of God as he walks up one by one. Let me show you what this doubt is. Let me show you what this doubt is. And the Spirit of God just one by one by one takes those doubts and brings affirmation to them. So as your pastor, I am not telling you to just believe. That would be wrong of me. I'm not telling you to get over it, nor am I telling you to hide it. I'm telling you to embrace it. I'm telling you to ask the Spirit of God and the love of God and the presence of God to one by one answer those doubts for you. But listen to me as your pastor. Don't go asking people. It's the wrong route. Not saying you can't add those relationships in if they have godly mindsets, but most of the people you talk to are doubting just like you. Go to the Word. I'm going to read some scripture for you and then we'll pray. Colossians chapter 2, watch this. This is what I've asked of God for you that you will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, and that you will have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty 
and clear understanding. For God's secret plan, his mystery, now at last made known is Christ himself. For in him lie hidden all the mighty untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this because I'm afraid that someone may fool you with smooth talk. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, happy because you're getting along so well, happy because of your strong faith in Christ. And now, just as you trusted Christ to save you, if you trust Christ to save you, now trust him too for each day's problems. If we have faith in him for salvation, then have faith in him for what you're going through. Live in a vital union with him. Let your roots grow down into him. God's so good. It's so good. Let your roots go deep into, into your friends. No. Into your, into your spouse. No. Into a podcast. No. Into Christ. Let those roots go deep into Christ and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and becoming strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with joy and thanksgiving for all that he's done. Don't let others spoil your faith and your joy with their philosophies. My gosh, this is so good. Their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. For in Christ, there is all of God in a human body. So you have everything when you have Christ. And you are filled with God through your union with Christ. He is the highest ruler with authority over every other power. Everybody stand with me real quick. The answer has always been Christ. For your doubts, the answer is Christ. For your concerns, the answer is Christ. And I think this time of the year, it's great for us to start kind of making commitments to let those roots go deep into Jesus and to bring us that nourishment. So I want to pray. First, I'm going to talk for a moment about anybody in the room who's never given their heart to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. And then second, I want to pray for your doubts. So if you've already been saved, start thinking right now about your doubts. Start thinking about your doubts right now. If you are not saved, please listen to me. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Christ died for your sins, you shall be saved. Believe in your heart, Christ died for your sins. Say it with your mouth, Jesus, would you come into my heart? I believe you died for my sins. I believe that I'll go to heaven because of what you've done. I'll lead us in that little prayer in a minute. But you can do that today. And if you do that, let me know. There's a connection card in front of you. Write that, write, write that down so that we can follow up with you and answer your questions and help you with those doubts. You can grab me in the lobby and talk to me. You can let Erica know or one of our directors know. Just let us know that you're making that decision so that we can walk with you. Amen? So I'm going to pray that prayer in a second, but let's go back to those of you that are saved with your doubts. You walked in here with a doubt, maybe multiple doubts. And you walked in here ashamed because you had that doubt. And the Spirit of God is setting you free right now. And he's saying, bring it to me. Put your roots in me. Let me bring evidence and revelation. Let me set you free. He may not answer it yet, but he's moving you in that direction. So I want to pray over you. 
So first, I'm going to pray over you. Father, right now, for every person in this room, for every doubt they have, every big doubt, but Father, you even care about the little doubts. For those that have been taught that doubting is bad or doubting is wrong or it's not godly, I pray that today your Holy Spirit and your love and grace has set them free from that. That they'll walk out of this place today a new person. That they'll embrace, every time they have a doubt, they'll embrace it and they'll bring it to Scripture. They'll bring it to you. They'll start to pray and ask, God, what do I do with this? I don't know what to do with this. I want to believe, but I have this doubt. And your word promises us that in your intimacy, you will come in and you'll give us wisdom, direction. And in Christ, we have certainty. For every person in this room that's never accepted you as their Savior, if that's you, listen right now. What an opportunity. The biggest step of faith we ever make is the faith that believing you died for our sins, Father. And that's all it takes is to just believe. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want you right now to pray this. Say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I could do, nothing I could ever do to myself of my sins. No matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am, I'll never be saved. But because of what Jesus Christ did for me, I'm saved by his blood. Come into my heart, Jesus. Guide me, lead me, direct me. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. My sins that were once red as scarlet are now white as snow. Thank you for the gift of salvation that cannot be earned, but it is a gift through Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody in this room, can we just begin to worship for a second? Maybe you're worshiping because you've given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're worshiping because you've been set free from a doubt. Maybe you hadn't been set free from a doubt yet, but you know what to do with it. I know what to do with it, God. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus.